was somewhere between uh, Fox and Franz Joseph glaciers that we thought like, oh, the dock campsites, they were so full, so busy. We didn't want to stay anywhere near there. So we were kind of cycling down back roads and seeing what would happen. And we saw this little plywood piece, piece of plywood nailed to a tree that just said camping, spray painted on it with an arrow down the road. And we're like, this is either a murder story or it's really wholesome Kiwi hospitality again. So we'll see. This is Aotearoa Adventures with your host, Abigail Hanna, the podcast for everything you need to know to travel New Zealand. I talk to photographers, van lifers, moms, students, and everyday Kiwis to hear their inspiring stories from past adventures and to share helpful tips and tricks for your travels. Whether you're visiting Aotearoa for the first time and live on the road, or you work a nine to five and have lived in New Zealand your whole life, you're guaranteed to learn something to plan your next getaway and get a new excitement to explore more of this beautiful country I call home. So grab your hiking boots, hop in the car, and turn up the volume. If you've ever cooked a meal from scratch in the bush, you'd know how challenging it is. Backcountry Cuisine have solved this problem with freeze-dried meals that are lightweight, delicious, nutritious, and so easy to prepare. With breakfast, lunch, dinner, and dessert options, as well as vegetarian, vegan-friendly, and gluten-free meals, they have something for every adventurer. Backcountry Cuisine are my go-to for yummy meals on the trail, and I also keep a stash in the van, just in case. For quick and easy meals for all your outdoor adventures, use the code ABIGAIL for free shipping off your next order. That's A-B-I-G-A-I-L for free shipping off your next Backcountry Cuisine delivery. Head to the link in the description to find out more. Kia ora, welcome to the Aotearoa Adventures podcast. I'm really excited to be sitting down with Rachel today. Would you like to tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, hi. My name's Rachel. I'm uh, from Canada, originally from Ontario, but I live out in Canmore, Alberta. Um, but I spent a couple of years living and adventuring around in New Zealand uh, and started painting and working as an artist when I was there as well. That's awesome. Um, what made you choose New Zealand and how long ago were you in the country? <laughs> I was there from 2018 to 2020 yeah. and uh, started, went there right after I finished university after school, which is the classic uh, Canadian student experience, I think, yeah. of going to live in New Zealand, the dream. Um, I started, I was working as an adventure guide and outdoor educator. I worked for Outward Bound for quite a few years in Canada and um, wanted to pursue that in New Zealand as well. So I moved over and started sea kayak guiding in Wellington um, was my first spot and then learned why sea kayaking isn't popular in Wellington. It's super windy. Um, so I worked at a climbing gym there as well, off and on to balance work and then started bikepacking. It was my first time bikepacking was when I was in Wellington and going around in the Tararuas and the, just the mountains right around the coast, uh, near Wellington yeah. as well. And got a lot better at hill climbing. I learned in New Zealand than I, than I had been in Canada. Um, so that was the attraction initially and then stuck around and kept finding new adventures in New Zealand. Um, what are what are some of the similarities between Canada and New Zealand that you sort of found, um, and what are some of the differences as well? Totally, I actually joked all the time. So I did a little bit of writing in one of my articles that I wrote about some bike adventures that I did for a Canadian cycling magazine was named uh, "Little Canada Big Adventures" <laughs> because okay. New Zealand feels yeah. like if you took Canada and shrunk it into really vertical skinny islands because you get really similar areas like the Maritimes, like the coastal areas, especially in like, you know, Dunedin, the South Island is similar to our Maritimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but you get the awesome epic mountains. The, the Southern Alps are really similar to our Rocky Mountains. Um, 
and the the west coast is similar to our west coast in that like very wet rainforesty area um it feels like the same kind of epic adventures but i loved in new zealand that everything was so much closer together that you could bike from one area to the other or paddle down a river and cross the whole island um really quickly so it it feels like everything is just more compact which is great for adventures by bike yeah no, that's super interesting. And I think I've heard people say that before, either Kiwis that have been to Canada for, mm-hmm. I guess, moving in that direction. It's like New Zealand on steroids. Yeah. <laughs> um, but totally like coming, yeah. coming the other direction, it's like it's all condensed mm. down in one place. So mm-hmm. I haven't been to Canada yet, but it is actually quite high on the list. So I'm sure it'll be in the in the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what did what did your childhood look like and were you always an adventurous family did you spend a lot of time outdoors or did you grow up in the cities in Canada what did what did that sort of look like yeah I actually my mom is a uh, travel writer freelance travel writer okay. and yeah. so I grew up traveling all the time when I was a kid uh, my parents took a year off and homeschooled three of us kids and we traveled around so my first time I was in New Zealand I was actually seven years old uh, with my family and we That's were there awesome. for a couple of weeks yeah we were there for a couple of weeks over Christmas and I loved it I remember traveling around and it was one of my favorite places we went we did the classic touristy stuff you know Rotorua and, and everywhere yeah. but uh, it always stuck in my head as a place I wanted to go back so I think that was kind of my draw when I started traveling as an adult by myself that I wanted to go back and explore more there uh, but yeah I grew up traveling a lot and my parents did a lot of canoe camping and took us camping all the time as kids so it grew up as a, a place of comfort and a place to go back to mm, um, yeah that's definitely what started it my parents got yeah. the I told you so credit for sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's always really interesting because obviously we don't pick our parents we don't pick what our childhoods mm-hmm. look like a lot of the time um, so I find it really interesting to see where people grew up how they grew up um, I've spoken to people that lived in buses or lived in mm-hmm. super remote parts of the west coast three days walk from Hast. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow and, that's remote yeah, that's a pretty yeah. epic episode mm-hmm. um yeah and and everything sort of in between um people mm-hmm. that grew up in the city and just hated the outdoors and then sort of found it in their adult years mm-hmm. so it's yeah it's just mm-hmm. always so interesting I, I love that you'd been to New Zealand when you were seven and something must mm-hmm. have stuck out for you to sort of come back <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, definitely. We traveled a lot. I think I'd been to 20 countries by the time I was 16, something around that. Mm. And New Zealand always stuck out as a place to go back to. And I did. I grew up camping and being outside, but the uh, more adventurous side of bikepacking and now getting into mountaineering and things is uh, a bit more out of my parents' scope. And they're more nervous (laughs) every year that I keep expanding things, but it's fun. They definitely started the spark. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's really Mm -hmm. awesome. Um, So tell me, I guess, a little bit more detail about some of the adventures that you had had in in New Zealand. Maybe pick three that sort of jump out to you as the the top three. Yeah, for sure. well, my very first bikepacking trip, I was convinced to go out, uh, actually by myself out of, uh, out of Wellington and did a big loop. And it was like a 24 hour epic, I, 
you know, classic wow. water filter broke, couldn't work, got a bunch of flooding, had to ford a couple rivers with my bike on my back and came back with a huge smile on my face, decided I loved it. Um, <laughs> so then <laughs> a month later, uh, my partner at the time and I decided that we would fly down to Christchurch and then bike, just kind of explore around the South Island. We'd flown into New Zealand and were working our first couple months and realized we hadn't really explored around and had any big adventures yet. So we, yeah. we flew down to Christchurch and immediately went over Arthur's Pass. Uh, very clear memory of getting up there and the dock officers coming over when we'd finally made the climb up to the top and saying, oh, are you camping here? And he said, yeah, of course. Like we just got up this whole climb, so excited to eat. And they're like, oh, <laughs> better get out of here. The Kias are going to destroy your bike tires. So we <laughs> kept moving. And there was a lot of those sorts of things on the adventure. Uh, we went down the West Coast and got torrentially downpoured and eaten by sandflies, all of the usual West Coast adventures that you'd expect yeah. from that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was awesome. We kept finding so many cool little spots. Uh, we went up uh, a few of the different great rides that the uh, like the great rides that um, New Zealand advertises. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I remember going up near, near Black Ball, that area, and – one of my favorite, favorite memories from that trip, we were poured on absolutely soaking wet coming off of this rough trail and found a little B&B online that we could stay at. And this woman was so, so classic, like Kiwi Aww. kindness as we rolled in, saw that we were soaking wet cyclists and was like, oh yeah, yeah, come in, come in. Like we don't have any vacancy, but you're welcome to camp on the lawn. And she had this cool little tub set up in her garden. So it was like, you could yeah. light a fire underneath and became that hot tub in the garden. So we had that, which she was brave to let some dirty cyclists jump in her, <laughs> her outdoor <laughs> bathtub. We had that and we ate from her garden. It was amazing just feeling that um, Kiwi hospitality. Mm. Yeah. And we kept going down the West Coast. Um, had some great nights near Hass Pass, as you mentioned earlier, also in torrential yeah. downpours and uh, the most epic sandflies I've ever felt in my life. <laughs> From Ontario, where I learned how to camp and grow up in Manitoba and Canada, has incredible black flies. And they're very similar, sort of like tiny okay. little gnat sort of yeah. bugs. And that I've seen like people's faces swollen and bitten, totally shut. And the sandflies still rivaled that. So is definitely giving some respect to uh, to the Kiwi complaints about sandflies. <laughs> uh, and then we went up and over, yeah, we went over Hast and then uh, visited some friends in Wanaka, uh, which was great. Had a couple of rest days there. Yeah. And then uh, went up to uh, the Alps to Ocean Trail. Which yep. was fun, and that was such a great season to be there because it was, well, A, out of the rain from the West Coast, but also it was right in the prime of uh, fruit growing season, and we were eating as much as we possibly could. When you're on a three-week bike trip, your metabolism certainly shoots up a little bit. And I remember we got a into a grocery store and absolutely loaded up. Like, our bikes were stuffed with all this groceries. And then this little uh, this farmer came up with his little truck full of plums, and he's like, God, oh, you want some fruit? Like, you guys look like you need more food. And we looked at our bikes, and we're like, we can't fit it anywhere else but how can we turn down free free plums and so we had our you know our bibs and our pockets and everything stuffed with all these plums and we sat at his truck eating them as well for a while that's that a awesome. great part of that that's the, yeah. it's the little things that make up the the memories and those those epic stories isn't it um, totally that, that yeah you weren't expecting unplanned um that's, <laughs> that's so cool yeah totally 
Yeah. And then we ripped down the Alps to Ocean and then uh, down to Dunners after that. It was a pretty good three-week intro of that was the first time I'd really spent a lot of time on the South Island because we'd been living on the North for that first little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It was a pretty good intro to the South Island, I have to say. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I feel like most people, when they do explore the South Island for the first time, it's usually by car or by road, by van. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, but you guys really put yourself in the deep end there doing it on bikes um yeah at the time would this have been the longest bike packing trip that you had done absolutely yeah I did that one day overnight we did a five day over Christmas and then this was the third trip I'd ever been on on a bike packing trip no that's certainly to the deep end and where did the idea for that that three-week trip come from what made you guys decide decide to do it um, I think it was just understanding that that bikepacking was a really cool way to see the country. I mean, there's so mm. like it slows you down. It's a little bit less than a car. Like you're going to see mm. things and camp along the way, but also a way to see a lot more of the country than just on foot. I could do a lot of um, of tramping, backpacking as well, and and love that. But I think that's it's cool for me for small objectives or in more like mountainous areas that I couldn't access by bike. But to get a taste of a whole country or a whole region at least going by bike, it's, it's it slows you down to see things and to, to meet the people, but you're also still able to cover a lot of ground and see the variety of a whole region. Yeah, it's it's sort of the perfect balance between walking and driving, isn't it? Totally, it's yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I found. A bit faster than walking, but slower than, slower than a car, and you still get to experience all the all the little things yeah yeah absolutely so I did that and then the next year after I got into a lot more uh that was kind of our our tourist casual way of of seeing things and then (laughs) after that I got into bikepack racing for the first time in New Zealand as well which I learned was a a hell of a place to start with the elevation gain and loss uh, to get into bikepack racing in New Zealand as well tell me a little Mm -hmm. bit more about that yeah, I I was staying in Littleton uh, for a little bit, just outside of Christchurch, and was trying to figure out, it was between work and just trying to figure out other adventures to do. And a friend at the time uh, worked for Ground Effect, a New Zealand-based clothing company for uh, for bikes. And he's like, oh, have you, have you heard about the LPB? I was like, I have no idea what that is. It's the uh, Le Petit <laughs> Brevet race. Um, and it goes around the whole Banks Peninsula and it's just this super small grassroots race. They don't even call it that. Um, cause I'm sure legally they don't want to be an, an organized event, but he connected me to the organizer and, uh, it was just a, you know, meet in the park at this time and whoever shows up, we're all racing and whoever crosses the finish line first wins and that's it. So there's, there's no uh, stop of the timer. If you want to sleep, you can sleep. And if you keep biking, that's your strategy. Uh, it's a really fun tour or style of racing. And, uh, yeah, I just really wanted a challenge at that point in my life. So I said, sure, I'll, si- I'll sign up. So I showed up. I was the only woman at the start line. There were about a dozen of us that year. It was wow. a pretty small year yeah. for it. Since then, it's grown a lot. I followed it online, and there's a lot more racers every year, um, which is really cool to see it. And the course has changed as well. They've they add more uh, elevation every year. The the route slightly changes, so it's gone up since I did it, which is impressive. <laughs> I can't imagine climbing more than I did. That yeah, was just around like 270 kilometers and 7,500 meters of elevation gain wow. up and around the whole Banks Peninsula. Which, if you look at the yeah. map of that, it's just up and down the whole time. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, but it was an epic race, and I think half of us actually finished. Although there were a lot of people who dropped out, and 
Man, the core memory from that one, I it was like two in the morning. I hadn't slept yet. I was so delirious. I'm like, I just got to keep going, got to keep going. And I was up high on a climb and it was really foggy at nighttime. Like the clouds had clearly rolled in. I was like, I can't yeah. sleep here because I'm just going to soak through to the bone. So I had my, my lights on. And as I was going down, I started seeing these eyes flashing past everywhere. And I was like, man, I'm, I'm getting hallucinating. Like it, I'm hallucinating <laughs> now. Like I'm totally losing it. Like I know I'm dehydrated, but this is weird. And I finally slowed down and hit the brakes and realized I was biking past this whole uh, field full of sheep. So there's all these uh, sheep eyes funny. that were glaring off my bike yeah. light in this yeah. fog. But in the total fog of my brain, it was uh, it was a little bit of a horror story. <laughs> So I kept going and finally got to the bottom of the descent and said, oh, okay, I'll just pull over here and sleep for an hour. I'll just get an hour of sleep and then I'll keep, be able to keep going. And I set my alarm and just had a, a mat and my quilt that I pulled over myself, fell asleep and slept right through the alarm. Obviously, my body was not ready to only <laughs> sleep for an hour. And I woke up when a friend of mine who was also racing went whizzing past and I heard him and I thought, no, 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 I got to get up and keep going. So I packed everything up and, and got riding again. I think I had, I'd slept for three hours, something around that. Yeah. Got up and kept going and I didn't see him. And I thought, oh man, like I, I can't let him beat me. So I kept pushing, kept pushing. And finally, a couple hours later, got to the top of a climb and he caught up behind me. And I'm like, man, how are you behind me? There's no way. And he said, he saw me sleeping in the ditch and think, oh, thank God, Rachel's sleeping. I can sleep. So he pulled <laughs> over to sleep as well, but then caught back up to me. So it was fun. It was an epic race. And then we- yeah. We finished it the next morning, um, and it was just absolute blazing heat, uh, like 11 by 11 o'clock, and uh, it was around that time, something like that, that we pulled in. We were the last ones who actually finished, but there, uh, it was a good race. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You had me on the edge of my seat for that whole story. That sounds, yeah, really, really epic. Um, how many, what was your time? Like, how many hours was that all up? It was something right around the 30 hour mark. Yeah. Yeah, that's so yeah. wild that you can like mm-hmm. push your body to like cycle for 27 hours and sleep for three. Um, <laughs> like yeah. there's no way I could do that. <laughs> Need yeah. a little bit more fitness in my life. Um, mm-hmm. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to go back and race it on the new course. And I've certainly learned a lot about bike pack racing since then, how to pack and eat better and keep a better pace and all that stuff. So there's that one. And there's a couple other races I've had my, my eye on to go back to New Zealand for, for sure. Oh, that's so cool. Well, tell me, um, maybe if we circle back to that Christchurch West Coast Dunedin trip, what did the logistics look like for that trip? Um, You mentioned some of the accommodation spots and some of the food that you had, but how did you sort of, did you plan all of that out at the start or was it a bit of a wing it and see what happens? (laughs) Uh, we planned our flights. We, we booked flights into Christchurch and out of, out of Dunedin. We knew that and everything else was a wing it along the way. (laughs) We didn't really know where, how long we'd want to spend in certain areas. And we did a couple of side trips to different things. Um, we didn't really know how long that would take. So it was just a, a deadline of make it to Dunedin by that day and see what happens in between. Um, yeah, we did a lot of uh, random camping, uh, camping at dock sites uh, a couple of times when it was really raining and we needed to dry out. We'd stay at a, a like, you know, cheap motel or mm-hmm. something like yeah. that. But it was usually just pulling in and seeing what was available, which has its pros and cons. It means you got a lot of flexibility, but we had so many nights that we would just be like, oh, this place is full or this place is shut down. It's actually not on Google Maps like we thought it was. So we got to keep riding for another hour. Um, yeah. So it leads to some definitely some adventures. Adventures. 
there's a uh, one campsite I remember it was somewhere between uh, Fox and Franz Joseph glaciers that we thought like oh the dock campsites they were so full so busy we didn't want to stay anywhere near there so we were kind of cycling down back roads and seeing what would happen and we saw this little plywood piece piece of plywood nailed to a tree that just said camping spray painted on it with an arrow down the road <laughs> yeah. and we're like this is either a murder story or it's really wholesome community <laughs> hospitality again so we'll see we biked down the road and uh sure enough it was this guy who his name was steve i remember him so clearly he was living in a school bus um on this property and he just set out this like beautiful campsite that had you know like a running water out of a pump and the whole thing was mowed and it was by this beautiful river and he just let people camp on his campsite i think like he just took donations he came over and hung out just wanted to say hi to people and uh, it was a beautiful campsite. So finding things like that, you're never going to find on TripAdvisor mm. planning in advance. <laughs> right handed sign, arrow that way. <laughs> Camping that way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, awesome. I still wonder if he's operating, if he's still going. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. That's really cool. Um, what was a moment in this trip where you were really challenged? Um, did you ever think, what have I done? Like, let's turn around. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh man, there were certainly lots of moments. I remember coming up with songs, like rewriting lyrics to songs to myself to sing in my head when we were biking down the West Coast Road. Because we thought, you know, coming from Canada, there's a million different roads. If you're not on the main highway, there's a couple dirt roads next to it that yeah. you can you can always dip down to. And the West Coast, there's really just the one highway. And uh, we linked together as many trails as we could. But biking on that main highway with RVs going past you with people who don't know how to drive in New Zealand on New mm. Zealand roads and biking next yeah. to them was definitely scary at times and we tried to plan the times of day when we were going so it wasn't too bad but biking in the pouring rain with RVs whizzing past you with two inches of clearance feels a bit nerve-wracking so usually it was on hill climbs in places like that that I questioned what we were doing um for sure yeah <laughs> and that's, that's uh, not very comfortable is it <laughs> yeah definitely I think yeah I think that and the climb up past uh was another one just unrelenting doesn't end um I remember being egged along a little bit with uh gummies being held out <laughs> to keep going <laughs> uh to keep going up that hill for sure yeah uh, no that's well good on you for, for pushing through that and um yeah yeah finishing the trip and meeting that that plane in Dunedin yeah. um if yeah. there's anyone else that wants to do a similar sort of I guess circuit of the South Island do you have any tips for them mm. I learned afterwards I think there's a lot cooler trails to go do in New Zealand which I did my second year there like doing that circuit was really cool to see the variety of New Zealand um Mm -hmm. and so stopping in towns and spending your time along things like that was totally worth it It was awesome I think if you're going just for the biking and for enjoying the biking the the great trails are going up to do the old ghost trail things like that is more worth your time um I also ended up doing a circuit on the northern tip of the northern island through Rainbow Road and Molesworth. And that was a lot of trail and gravel awesome. biking that was just epic open expanses, no RVs right next to you. Yeah. Um, and that one was a really beautiful trip, I think, just for uh, for more the challenge of the cycling itself. So it depends what you're going for, I guess. Yeah, no, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. And you've mentioned a couple of the bike trails, um, Old Coast Road, Alps to Ocean. 
which one of those do you think is a is a good one for beginners? The Alps to Ocean one is awesome for people who are just getting into bikepacking because there's campsites okay. all along yeah. it. There's uh, a really clear website, like kind of trail guide about where you can stay. It goes through so many cute little towns. Like there's a really good mix of going through towns, but still having like remote wilderness camping, I guess. Yeah. Is it mostly downhill as well? It is also trending downhill. So. <laughs> <laughs> it is, yeah, because you're starting up at higher elevation and ending ending yeah. at the ocean. It's trending downhill. I don't remember any really steep climbs on that. And if they were, they were really short. It's not like yeah. multiple kilometer long grinds where you're losing traction. It's a really well-built trail. And I know it's been developed even further since uh, since I rode oh, it. Really cool. um, that's a yeah. really fun one to start out. And it's only a few days um, if you're, depending on what pace you're going, but it can only be a few days, which is great. Um, did you also do the Wilderness Trail, I believe it's called, on the West Coast? Yeah, I believe we did that one that ends near Hokitika. Possibly. Yeah, I'd have to look at it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we did a bunch. We did all the trails that were open at that time yeah. uh, that were yeah. on the West Coast. And I remember there were a bunch that were, same thing, trending downhill. You start higher up and then mm. end near the ocean and just like flying down it. And the ones that have been purpose-built for bikes are so great because I think a lot of trails, especially in Canada, they're built for um, hikers and cyclists to share. Yeah. But New Zealand's done an awesome job of building these amazing cycling trails that, you know, they have little fun corners and berms and these things that make it really exciting to bike as well um to have purpose-built cycling trails that are multi-day is really special and something i haven't really seen anywhere else that's really cool i think um we don't realize what we've got in new zealand until someone like yourself that (laughs) overseas perspective says hey you guys have this thing that no one else in the world has (laughs) yeah quite rare in other places um so Mm -hmm. yeah I haven't done a lot of cycling myself in New Zealand but um I've spoken to a couple of people on the podcast and I just it's 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 gonna happen I don't know when but um it's gonna happen um actually one of the ones that I'm hoping to do sooner rather than later is it's just a short half day or something I think but um between Pairoa and Waihi um I don't know if you explored much of the top of the North Island but it's old gold mining um sort of I don't know machinery and tunnels and all sorts of trails around there um which I've always I've visited the area heaps of times and I've seen people whizzing past on their on their bikes and I've always thought that's something I'd love to do I'm pretty sure it's not even like a full day like I think it's a pretty short trail Mm -hmm. but I suppose it's a good place for someone like me to start (laughs) (laughs) definitely yeah I just looked it up the west coast wilderness trail is the one that we did that ends ends near Hokitika and that one was definitely a favorite like purpose-built amazing amazing trail yeah Oh, that's awesome. Well, um, Mm. tell me what you were doing for work while you were in New Zealand. I know you mentioned a little bit you were doing some kayak guiding, but how did you Mm -hmm. manage to get three weeks off for for an adventure (laughs) like this? Yeah, so I've worked in the outdoor industry for quite a few years and uh, outdoor educating and outdoor guiding is Mm. pretty intensive work when you're doing it. And so it's very common that we'll have a shoulder season or time off between jobs because you're working so intensely. So that's still the sort of lifestyle I I have back here now as well is uh, working full on for summer, full on for winter, but kind of the shoulder seasons, you get a bit of a break. So that was exactly what that was. I'd I'd worked Mm -hmm. as a CPAC guide and, and rock climbing instructor in Wellington and then and had a bit of time off before I flew back to Canada and then started another season here and then went back to New Zealand again. Um, 
So yeah, it's just kind of the natural cycle of seasonal work of guiding like that is to get time yeah. off, which is a pretty big perk as well. But I did that. And then I also came back uh, for an outdoor education job, job near Christchurch. And then mm-hmm. I was working as a guide for a company called Backroads that does cycling and hiking adventures as well. And so I'd started working for them when I was back on the South Island and based out of Wanaka. Yeah. Oh, that's really, really cool. Yeah. Do you have any any tips or advice for people that might want to get into that industry um, who have listened to all you've had to say and said, that sounds like me? <laughs> <laughs> if you like adventures and lots of time off. <laughs> um, yeah, it's... Uh, it's a pretty fun industry to get into. I mean, I started, it's a bit more of a North American thing, but having summer camps and things like that, where you start with, um, small trips and then build up uh, a resume or experience in, mm-hmm. in leading groups and working. Um, I think most people I know started working with kids or with youth, um, with outdoor education groups and things like that, which I know New Zealand schools have really awesome programming for that yeah. for schools to get outside. So starting with trips like that, I think are easy and you learn how to manage groups and to, to be in the outdoors and build that skill repertoire of leadership and then yeah. for myself that was the journey starting in outdoor education and then when I had those skills that I developed on my own time as well more technical outdoor skills and I started doing guiding work in whitewater um, and ski patrolling in the winter and those sorts of jobs mm. um, so it's just kind of slowly working up and, and building the experience as you go. And I think it's quite important in that industry to have both summer skills and winter skills so that you do have work all year round. Um, Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I work as a, as a whitewater raft guide now and I work with a lot of Kiwis or people who will go chase the summer, which is what I did for a little bit, chasing summer back and forth between Canada and New Zealand. And it's fun working with uh, Kiwis back here because it feels like I haven't left sometimes hearing the accent and all the jargon. Yeah. but it's great. And so some people will chase summer to summer all the time if they really like that. And it's, and it's possible. It's hard to sustain for a long time, but it can be a really fun part of, uh, part of life, especially early twenties, I think is the typical time for that. <laughs> and I then suppose uh, on the flip side of yeah. people are winter people, they can chase winter mm-hmm. all year round. Though I don't totally. know why anyone uh, would do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A friend of mine I patrolled with this winter is down uh, patrolling in New Zealand now. So he's doing chasing winter the opposite. Yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, I've, I found it's nice to have a balance of the summer winter skill set um to be able to stay in the same spot for a little Mm. longer yeah that's really cool um well you said at the start that you are an artist as well um I would love to hear a little bit more about that um and yeah just just tell me everything about that yeah um started painting when I was in New Zealand kind of I mean off and on before that but started painting a lot when I was in New Zealand Um, the second time when I was kind of between work and hanging around, I started doing a lot of solo tramping and figured out that bringing watercolor was more portable than acrylics, which I'd started Mm -hmm. in and, uh, doing painting on my own was a really nice way to spend time when I was solo in the back country instead of, you know, you normally sit around at the end of the day and play cards or hang out with people when you're out with friends. But by myself, Mm -hmm. I started painting more. Uh, and it was really, really fun. I remember the first painting that I really loved that I did was, uh, near blue pools on the South Island, but yeah. I hiked into blue pools and saw how horrendously busy it was <laughs> and, <so laughs> and kept hiking further and found this different little gorge of this little waterfall and sat there and painted it. And I, I loved just the way that it made me observe more of the details of what I was seeing and what was surrounding mm. me as a way to connect with where I was. So I started doing that and then, um, 
I did a little bit of journalism for a while as well. Like I said, I was writing for Canadian Cycling Magazine and then yep. did some articles for Wilderness Magazine. Yep. And I didn't really have photos to go with one of the articles that I wrote. And so I asked the editor of Wilderness, oh, can I, can I send you a painting instead? I painted that spot. And he said, yeah, sure. So I sent that along and uh, it kind of just started this whole process of I started painting illustrations to go with my writing instead. And then the painting started taking over even more. And I've uh, been working as an illustrator for three or four years now. And really That's loving awesome. It. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is that um, quite a large part of your time and your week at the moment then? Um, <laughs> how do you sort of balance that with, with the rest of the stuff that you do? Yeah, it uh, it's most of my weekends. You kind of joke that when you're uh, running your own business that there isn't really time off because you're working when you're home from work. <laughs> Um, and it's finding a balance of still painting for myself and, and enjoying that while still doing yeah. commission work and, yeah. and illustrations. But typically when I get home a couple nights a week and painting and on my weekends doing scanning mm-hmm. and editing and the business side of it, but it's a lot of my time off, but I really love it. <laughs> yeah. It's that quote, um, leave the nine to five and work the 24 <laughs> seven. Exactly. Yeah. It's exactly like that. <laughs> Yeah, but it's great. I uh, started doing illustrations and at one point the the editor for Wilderness Magazine, he reached out uh, with an idea of doing a short little guide series. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea of doing a monthly illustration. And at that point it was like, oh, we'll try one and see how it goes and then try three more months and see how it goes. And now we just have an ongoing uh, run of short little guides that are published every month. It's been going for almost uh, just over two years now, which has been That's great. Awesome. Uh, yeah. yeah. And it's a, it's a really fun relationship and a way to, to stay in touch with that kind of key, key roots that I had in my painting. Yeah. Uh, so I paint guides every month and, and uh, we used to work together a little bit more on what we were going to paint about. And uh, now he's kind of given me free reign of whatever outdoor skills I feel like painting or writing about that month. Then uh, I send them over to him. That's very cool. Do you do you find yourself in a creative rut at all? Because um, <laughs> consistency with putting stuff out on a regular schedule, whether it's weekly or monthly, I I find that challenging <laughs> myself. <laughs> um, so how do you sort of navigate that? Yeah, I think there's a bit of both sides of it because I find being forced to create every month uh, keeps me with it. I think it mm. would be easy to procrastinate and stop yeah. painting when I'm feeling burnt out and tired, but knowing that I have to paint every month or that I have to figure out a new guide or something exciting to paint about, um, it kind of keeps me going and keeps me with that. That being yeah. said, there has been many nights where I'm up at 11 o'clock at night asking friends, what do you think would be a great idea for a short guide you need to see? <laughs> And trying to try to brainstorm ideas for uh, <laughs> yeah. for different topics is more the challenge than the painting itself. Once yeah. I get going, it's really fun, uh, and I like doing that. But trying to think of new topics is is sometimes starting to get challenging. But mm. that being said, there's a million different outdoor skills to work on. It's just getting mm. more niche as I keep going, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and I suppose you mm-hmm. can always circle back on like old work or old guides and just sort of frame it in a different way and like repurpose mm-hmm. similar similar um themes or stories or yeah 
Yeah. And I've looked at it that way a little bit of like, oh, I kind of touched on this topic in an old guide, but I didn't really have space to get into detail because I only have mm. one one page yeah. to explain something. So it, yeah. I learned early on to stop taking off more than I could, uh, more than I could chew. Cause it's sometimes you realize how many details or little tidbits of info you want to add. And then suddenly it doesn't fit on one page. So earlier guides I did, I think were a bit more broad and now I'm going back yeah. to those ones and be like, Oh, this little piece would be really great to make its own guide and to expand so on cool. that information. Yeah. So that's definitely been a technique that I've done to, to find new info or to new topics that are exciting. And I also, I feel like I underestimate sometimes what skills, um, we assume that everybody knows or that is obvious to everyone, Mm -hmm. but for folks who are new to the outdoor industry, there's a lot of skills that, um, that aren't explained and, uh, that can, can use a short little guide. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's really Mm -hmm. cool. Um, and I think there's something, there's something really special about doing something creative and doing it consistently and having that discipline as well. I think holding both discipline and the inspiration sort of hand in hand, um, is just, it's a juggling game, but it's, it's really awesome and it's really cool to see your work. So I think that brings us to the end of our time. Um, where can people find you on socials if they want to connect with you and if they want to see some of your artwork, um, maybe some photos from your past adventures in New Zealand and your current ones in Canada? Yeah, I post most consistently on Instagram. I try and have a balance of artwork and adventures. So it's at Rachel M.Y. Davies, R-A-C-H-E-L-M-Y D-A-V-I-E-S on Instagram. And then I also have a website, uh, racheldaviesart.com that has all my artwork for sale in my portfolio, which definitely has a lot from New Zealand as well. Awesome. Well, we can't wait to have you back here. Um, what, what are you, what's the first thing you're going to do when you visit New Zealand again? Oof. Well, I'm between, I mean, I'm, I'm big into whitewater again, so I'm wanting to yeah. uh, raft the shot over or go do a multi-day pack rafting trip or something like that, but also looking at uh, a couple bike races, the Tortuakunamu yeah. or the uh, Great Southern Brevet. Definitely have my eyes on those. Well, that's very exciting, and you'll have to hit me up when, when you're here again. Thank you yeah, so much, definitely. Rachel. It's been so cool to hear your stories um, and and about your art and about your adventures in New Zealand. Um, I love that this is where bike packing started for you, um, and that you still it's still you've still got that connection to New Zealand through the art that you do as well. Thanks so much for having me, and for uh, it's an honor to join all the adventure stories you have here. <laughs> It's always awesome to have an overseas visitor's perspective of Aotearoa and I loved hearing from Rachel about her time here and the connection she's maintained while still in Canada. If you love hearing about biking, check out episode 13 where Lauren and Greg cycle the length of Aotearoa or if you're keen on mountain biking, tune into episode 47 with Laura Goldsworthy. And if you'd rather walk than cycle, listen to episode 7 or 43 about the Te Araroa Trail. Head to the description for all the social links to connect with Rachel and visit her Instagram to see some of her artwork and her past adventures thank you so much for tuning in and coming along for the ride if you love the show and enjoyed listening please take the time to leave a review on apple or spotify i would also love to connect with you so send me a dm on instagram or leave me a voice message and i can't wait to see you next time until then keep adventuring